afternoon. Welcome to the Rob Report, 970 WDYM, 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Live from the North Dakota Republican Party State Convention in Grand Forks at the Alaris Center. Was it here? I think, and actually I should say, my first two guests is Kevin Kramer, Rick Berg. It feels like the last time the convention was here, you two guys were candidates squaring off against each other, I think wasn't it? Actually, I think I had the exact same room. You want to know, I walked in the room today, and I, I think this was our room eight years ago. It was your room eight years yeah, ago? Yeah, I think so. Now, uh, we are we are live from the convention. we got a busy show. Like I said, Congressman Kramer, uh, Party Chairman Rick Berg joining me right away. Uh, Senator John Hoven will be next segment. Next hour, we'll hear from the Secretary of State candidates, Al Jagger, Will Gardner, uh, squaring off. Al Jagger, of course, the incumbent. Will Gardner challenging him for the party's endorsement. Uh, that'll be at 1 o'clock at 1.30. Uh, Kelly Armstrong and Tiffany Abentroth running in the United States uh, House race for the nomination. Uh, they'll both be on. That's coming up at 1.30. Uh, well, right now, gentlemen, how, how are we feeling about this convention? How's this going to roll out? Well, I just think it's too bad that there's so much excitement and so much enthusiasm that Rick filled the place to capacity <laughs> so no one else can come. Well, that well that was I was just actually talking about that with one of one of the one of the the party uh, volunteers or maybe his employee I don't know running around. Uh, he was saying up to sixteen hundred registered delegates now. You know, it's just gotten crazy. Uh, four years ago, we had nine hundred, a little over nine hundred. The last midterm. Yep, yep. And so we were anticipating, you know, maybe there's going to be a thousand or something like that, and we hit. 15, 20, and it was still climbing. So and the challenge is a room, you know, we thought, well, we're going to get a room that has a capacity of 1,600 people. That gives us all kinds of extra room. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be tight. We're now you're hoping tight. all the delegates don't show up. <laughs> well, we'll be in trouble with yeah. the fire marshal. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to put some auxiliary seating out somewhere. So I think people are really excited about this this year. And, I, I mean, what, I, what I've kind of put my finger on that, that seems to resonate is people are seeing this tax law change that passed. People are seeing it affect them. And so it's kind of like I think the average person, the average citizen out there is seeing results that they haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it's $2,700 a family in North Dakota family is going to benefit from this tax law change. Now, well, and actually there was just, and I think we were talking about earlier this week as well, there was just a, a study out from the Tax Policy Center saying North Dakota, number one in the nation. And the way they measured it was average tax cut per filer. Mm-hmm. Number one in the nation, followed second South Dakota. But number one in the nation. I mean, so that's saying that that tax law is having more impact in North Dakota, at least by that measure, right. than any other state. Well, and Rob, part of the reason for that is, and I, I probably should have said this before when we've talked about it, but part of the reason for that is because North Dakota governs so well already that we have a we're a low tax state. So because we're a low tax state, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act actually benefits low tax states even all the more. Um, so, you know, whereas high tax states like California, New York, New Jersey, you know, they're they're whining a little bit about the tax cuts because they don't get to take as much benefit. Um, so, it's sort of a one-two punch. If you're a Republican um, in North Dakota, you deserve an awful lot of credit for what's happening. Now, now, last last cycle, which would be a presidential cycle, 2016, there was what 1,700 delegates. Uh, it was pretty high. I, I, I think I think I think that was it in the ballpark, 1,700. So this is nearly matching that. Why? I mean, is, is it the competitive races? I mean, we have a competitive House race, so we're going to be talking to a couple of the candidates later in the program. Um, also, once we get into the general, Kramer, our, our friend Kevin here, is going to be running a, a, a campaign that's going to be of, of national implications, really, national attention, which we're not necessarily used to in North Dakota. Is that what's driving attention? Yeah, I think, I think people are excited. I, uh, you know, that's the only way I can describe it is, 
know, this convention that's for the average North Dakota citizen that wants to weigh in, wants to meet the candidates, meet the people that are going to hold office, but also come and weigh in. And I think they're excited. They're excited about Kevin's campaign, the Senate campaign, and they're excited about, you know, the House campaign and the people in that. But I think they're also excited about the results and being able to have a say in those results. For sure. Uh, 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, now, Ryan Zinke, Commerce Secretary, is going to be uh, the speaker. Uh, some people, because I mean, there, there was some delay there, and I think people think, oh, is it going to be Trump? I mean, there was all sorts of speculation. I I knew it was going to be Trump because bringing the president in logistically is something that's got to probably start a while ago. <laughs> um, but Ryan Zinke, a lot of people saying that's not for, – for as much uh, you know attention as the Senate race is going to get, as the House race is going to be, it's going to be an eventful cycle. Someone like that, a little underwhelming. Well, let me tell you two things. Okay. I mean, number one is I'd like people to hear Ryan first. Ryan right. is just dialed into the issues that are important in North right. Dakota. Second of all, from a convention planning standpoint, what's number one for me as a convention uh, chairman is and a, and a state party chairman is I want to see our candidates get some exposure. We have a number of people that, uh, you know, that are running the House race, the Senate race, and the elected officials that are running for re-election. I want those people to get some exposure. Uh, we have President Trump come in here. I imagine that's all the press and news for two days would be President T- Trump yeah. and not the candidates we have. And so... You know, it's it's um, I think I think we'll see the president this cycle. You know, it's interesting. I mean, speaking about that, the Democrats, Kevin, obviously had Joe Biden come in. And I thought the most interesting thing that <laughs> Joe Biden said was actually something he didn't say, didn't mention President Trump. Um, and I thought I thought that was very interesting. I think he alluded to him. Sure. Never used his name. Um, I thought that was interesting because it's it's Democrats have to tiptoe around. I think Donald Trump, their base doesn't like Trump. But they also know they need a lot of Trump voters to cross that. If, if, if Heidi Heitkamp wants to win, if, if Max Schneider wants to sure. win on the statewide ballot, they need a lot of people who are, are inclined to like Donald Trump to maybe say, hey, I, I don't mind going Democrat in, in this. And, and North Dakota does. We have we have people who, who mix and match on the ballot. That's a North Dakota tradition. But, you know, for you, I think right now, especially with this trade thing going on, Democrats are saying, oh, this is an instance. And, and you made a comment earlier this week about the whole, uh, you know, voting against Trump is – uh, like cheating on your wife, I think, and people are making a lot of hay out of that. But they're tying you, you know, so you're a Trump loyalist, mm-hmm. and I think that's how they're trying to cast it. Kevin Kramer, Trump loyalist, mm-hmm. Heidi Heitkamp, North Dakota first. How do you respond to that? Oh, well, I think it's, I think you characterize it fairly well, except remember, Senator Heitkamp's trying to make the point that she's, quote, independent. And I'm trying to make the point, independent of what? See, only a Democrat has to be independent in North Dakota, whereas a Republican gets to be a Republican, because we're in sync. Our party and our party's values are in sync with North Dakota. Democratic values are not, which is probably why they only had 600 people to come and see a former vice president, and we have 1,600 people coming to see a governor, a senator, a congressman, a couple of former governors, an attorney general, a secretary of state, and on and on and on. The enthusiasm in our party is because we're Republicans. They have to pretend not to be Democrats in order to be relevant. So, yes, they're walking a a tightrope. But before, I I would say this, they can can, um, tie me as closely as they want to things like Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I like that. Tie me to opposing sanctuary cities and trying to keep violent criminals out of America, not harbor them. Uh, I like that comparison. Try to tie me to repeal, repealing and replacing Obamacare with something better. 
I like that and a whole host of other issues. And so I think that's the that's the beauty of being us. We don't need a celebrity coming. By the way, Ryan Zinke, as Rick has pointed out, Ryan Zinke is not only is he as heck of a guy, he's a dear friend. So I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm biased. I served with him. He's been very supportive of me. I've been supportive of him and our issues, especially as it relates to the nuclear triad. We work very closely together on, on military issues in, in the House. But he's very important in North Dakota, particularly with our tribes, with fish and wildlife as it relates to agriculture, and, of course, with federal lands and, and energy development. So, um, And, by the way, he's not a former anything. He's a former Navy SEAL, but he's a sitting Secretary of the Interior. And so, uh, you know, I, I think Rick characterized it well, but we, we don't have anything to apologize for having Ryan Zinke come and spend some time with us and, and talk to us. But, um, yeah, we trying to trying to be quote independent if you will well and i'd like to weigh in on that just a little bit i think this is the only time that senator heitkamp has faced a re-election where she's actually taken votes yeah so you know so she was executive branch before but she she never took a vote never took a vote and so you know six years ago again however you can say what you want to to try and win that independent vote but now there's some pretty clear votes that she's taken. That's a really interesting point, because even if you go all the way back to pre, she ran for governor in 2000 and was unsuccessful. Prior to that was attorney general. Prior to that was tax commissioner. Yep. Always executive branch, never had a legislating record. Now she's got six years of a legislating record. She's got to explain it. Absolutely. It's going to be a new dynamic for yeah, her. Yeah, and I, I, if, this, if this campaign focuses on the issues, which it should, uh, it's pretty clear. Pretty clear what needs to happen. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, now, uh, we, there was some flack, and there was an article, and, and it got some flack about closing off Zinke's speech to the public. And I, I, I saw the Democrats in particular were making it sound like it was an anti-transparent thing. I think one thing that even didn't even get pointed out in the articles about it was the media is still allowed in, right? This Absolutely. Press, this press pass of mine still going to get me in to see Mr. Zinke? Yeah. We, we don't have the room. Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge. You know, I, I, uh, you know, last last convention we were set And by up. the way, this venue was booked eight years ago, too, yeah. as I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's way in advance. You know, I've only been on the job for a few weeks, so I'm not right. sure that all went in, but a lot of work went into it. But, you know, two years ago we had it in the Shield Center that had an arena, and the public was able to come in and sit and watch the, you know, how the process was going. I think that's something in the future we're going to want to make sure is available. Mm-hmm. Our challenge here is our challenge is we need to vote. Delegates uh, came to vote for their candidates. And so if we have delegates and public kind of all on the floor together and we have a vote, it's difficult for us to know who's eligible to vote and who isn't eligible to vote. So that's why we have to keep that separated off. Now, uh, you, you, you have an opponent here, Mr. O'Neill, and, and you're, so you've got, you've got a competition. You're going to make a case to the delegates, but also I, I think – you know, I think you got a pretty good shot of, of emerging as as the uh, the endorsed candidate from the convention. What, what's your argument? I mean, I mean, is this sort of? I, I usually see the convention as sort of the launch of campaign season. I mean, we're really going to get into it now. What's your argument to voters? What's your overall argument to voters as you want to unseat Heidi Heitkamp from where she's been? Well, first of all, I think the chairman has already articulated pretty nicely. You know, Senator Heitkamp and I were elected on the very same day by the very same people. We had the exact same number of days on the job representing these same people. And while the Senate only works part-time, the House and the House puts out a lot more work product, um, we nonetheless, there are a number of bills that we have both voted on. Yeah. And it's amazing how, 
how differently we voted on several of those. Well, bills. give us some examples. So, I think Rick, sorry, talk, what, that, let's go back to some of them I talked about earlier. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, immensely popular in North Dakota before it passed and even more popular now. She voted no, I voted yes. Repeal and replace of Obamacare. Something, by the way, in the Graham-Cassidy bill, profound in its simplicity. More money, more flexibility, right to states. It failed by one vote in the United States Senate, and she voted no. Sanctuary cities. She support. She voted for more funding for sanctuary cities to harbor violent, illegal immigrant criminals. I voted against it. Um, how about the BLM flaring rule, which was a, a rule that the, the Obama administration issued on their way out the door, which allowed us to repeal it with a simple majority in the Senate. Comes up one vote short. It aimed right at the heart of North Dakota's oil and gas industry. She was a no yeah. vote. So there's a, and that's just a few of the. I, 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 I think the energy thing because one of the, one of the keys I think Senator Heitkamp touts as yes. as evidence perhaps of her uh, bipartisanship or her independence, independence or however yeah. she wants to describe it yeah. is her position on energy. Mm-hmm. Coal. She's she's you know I I think historically the coal industries mm-hmm. liked her and backed sure. her mm-hmm. uh, and and oil. Uh, but now we have some some situations at uh, the BLM rule, for instance. Right. Ron Ness, head of the North Dakota Petroleum Council, had an editorial, didn't mention her by name, but highlighted that you and Senator Hoven voted to end uh, or, or voted for the CRA to overturn the BLM flare right. rule. Uh, she did not. You know, kind of glaring omission. Recently, you were just as I was at the Lignite Energy mm-hmm. Conference uh, yesterday. She got a question there from someone in the audience saying, what are you doing to make the case for coal to your Democratic caucus? Uh, Heidi answered later. That person was interviewed. That person said, uh, I am not going to vote for Senator Heitkamp because I think she says one thing here and something else in Washington. Has her support in those in- important industries been uh, eroded? Well, much, much of the reason I'm in this race is because of the energy industry and her lack of, of uh, not just, you know, legislative support, Rob, but her ability to persuade her own party. If at some point you can't persuade Chuck Schumer, then what good is it to have somebody that's talking to Chuck Schumer? Why not take the sure bet? But there are other, BLM 2.0 was another rule she voted against, and that was profound in that in the, 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 the bill, the rule that Obama passed or initiated on his way out the, the door was devastating to how BLM is managed. Well, fortunately, we prevailed in the Senate even without her vote, and we were able to repeal that rule, but she voted wrong on that, and there are a number of other ones. So, no, she, she got, you know, She's got a nearly fatal flaw in being a Democrat, and being with North Dakota half the time, you know, isn't a very good record unless you're playing baseball. I well, suppose. the last the last uh, Democrat incumbent uh, that was running for re-election as a Senate was defeated in 2010, yeah. or you know, in the House. So you know, in 2010 when Earl Palmer lost, I mean, he had a voting record that was really dominated. He was the last person not named Heidi Heitkamp to win a statewide election for the Democrats since since 2008. But he was also an incumbent that got beat because of the voting, I think because of his voting record, and it was really reflective of the East and West Coast. And this is is what's happening. You know, I look at the big picture, and we have one vote in the U.S. House out of 435 people. So, I mean, Kevin's done a great job to have an impact far more than one person. In the U.S. Senate, our votes are canceling out each other on these important. So it's kind of like North Dakota has zero influence in the Senate. And if we want to have some impact, you know, we need to change that. Uh, Kevin, we got an emailer asking, uh, you know, what about Senator Heitkamp's pick-and-choose support for gun owners and CCW holders? Now, she backed 
uh, legislation from Susan Collins to use the no-fly list as right. a way to, to, to screen right. people, right. which I, I'm not sure when you're talking about a constitutional right, right. removing people. I mean, I, I had a big problem with that, but uh, gun rights also another area where um, I think a big contrast. She, she's been, you know, yes. You might recall even her very early, one of the very first months, one of the very first votes in the Senate was a gun law vote where it was very, very close. And she was the last Democrat to announce her position. And she, and, the, and the reason that's suspicious is because she had to wait to see if if, if Harry Reid at the time had enough votes to kill it before she could, he could give her the leeway. Well, you, you, want, you, wonder what, you wonder how authentic her support for gun rights is when she's got to calculate like that's that. That's exactly right. Point. But then to your other point, on the, the, the one that she's supporting with Susan Collins is wrong because it's it's it lacks due process when you're talking about the constitutional rights and guaranteed right you you don't you don't get to skip due process for certain lists especially lists that that have been demonstrated to be as faulty as last last question then we got to go to a break uh what good is having a democrat there if she if she can't persuade her own party quoting something you just said emailer asks i sure hope kevin kramer is going to put his money where his mouth is when it comes to persuading this half-cocked president from screwing everything up on trade policy well, actually, I think this president has inherited the worst trade situation you could inherit because of years of neglect by previous presidents. And so um, I'm already working with him. I've already talked to him, talked to cabinet secretaries about what we're going to do to make sure that farmers are protected in the short run as he takes on the long game uh, in trying to correct something that's been hurting our farmers for a very long time. And that's some trade policy. We don't have a lot of time, but yeah. emailer says, please remind us what the BLM rule is and yeah. what the pros and cons so the, are. Real so quick, about yeah, 30 seconds. So the BLM rule was a rule that took away all of the local control of, of flaring and put it right into the into the federal government when North Dakota already had good BLM flaring rules. Flaring is the, the release of gas, burning off of gas on federal lands at, at, all right. at oil wells. It's well, we gotta, right at North Dakota. we got to go to a break. Kevin, Rick, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Pleasure's all Absolutely. of mine. Thanks, Rob. Well, I'm Rob Port, uh, broadcasting live from the NDGOP convention, sponsored by First International Bank and Trust. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port, live from the NDGOP convention, brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. Happy to be with you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com if you want to join the program. Just finished up with uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer, NDGOP party chair Rick Berg. Uh, got an emailed question. And by the way, uh, actually Kyle asked a question uh, wondering how uh, Congressman Kramer feels about uh, the national uh, President Trump sending the National Bar- uh, Guard uh, to the border. Uh, actually, Kevin's still standing uh, near me. I asked him real quick. Uh, he said uh, he's fine with it. <laughs> pretty simple Pretty simple answer. Uh, emailer asks, how about when Heidi Heitkamp was all against Al Franken and asked him to resign and then flip-flop changed her mind and said she would back him if he decided to uh, stay? Uh, to me, it sounds like she doesn't care if women get sexually assaulted, harassed, or not. I wouldn't say she wouldn't care. I think it's probably another example where the senator's doing political calculus. You know, in the moment, it was advantageous for her to call uh, for Senator Franken to resign. Uh, and then she had to flip-flop on it a little bit uh, when uh, when maybe uh, she got a little bit further from it. because uh, And it's just, again, I, I think that's an example of maybe swaying in the wind a little bit. we got to take another break. We went long with Congressman Kramer and Rick Berg in the last segment. Senator John Hoven joining us next. This is the Rob Report live from the NDGOP convention in Grand Forks brought to you by First International Bank and Trust.
Welcome back. Rob Moore coming to you live from the NDGOP convention in Grand Forks at the Alaris Center. We uh, brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. Uh, spoke earlier in the hour with uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer running to be in the United States Senate, uh, as well as NDB, NDGOP Chairman Rick Berg. Joining me now is U.S. Senator John Hoven. Senator Hoven, how are you? Good, Rob. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, well, uh, the, the convention. Have you seen? Uh, you've been. You've been to one or two of these things before. Uh, you. Uh, the, I have, and everybody's the, excited about being in Grand Forks, and I think we've got about fifteen hundred delegates. So it looks like we'll have well, a real good turnout. I can. I can break some news for you, Senator. Uh, they told me that the registrations are over sixteen hundred now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and no, we're, it's, we're, it's gonna be a good turnout. You bet. Uh, have you seen a turnout that big for a midterm before? No, uh, the biggest I remember was actually the first time I ran for governor back in 2000. Uh, Republican Party wanted 2,000 delegates in 2000, uh, which was great because we brought a lot of new people into the party. Um, but that's the biggest turnout I remember. That was in Fargo. Yeah, and that, that of course, was a presidential year as well. I mean, exactly. we're talking about a midterm yeah, exactly. midterm year here, which, uh, you know, for better or worse, usually doesn't see as good a turnout. Now, um, no, I, think, I think you're right on a mid. I think you're right on a uh, midterm year. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a big big number. Uh, surprising. I, I know the party was getting a little bit of flack from the Democrats because uh, they ran out of room, can't lift the public in to see Ryan Zinke. Now, of course, that's a little disappointing that the public can't get in to see. But uh, and by the way, the press is still is still coming in, um, but yeah, the public good. can't get in to see. But I mean, it's it's kind of a good problem to have when you have that many delegates back in the room. Yeah, I mean it's it's great that we have that big turnout. Of course, I'd always like to see everybody get in. That that's my approach, but it. We'll have the glad to hear the media's in there, so they'll cover it and all. But um, like the good turnout, but always like to have anybody that wants to come be able of course. to come. Yeah, seven zero one two nine three nine thousand to join the program eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Now, like I said, I was just speaking with Congressman Kevin Kramer. Uh, he is he is uh, his nomination is contested here uh, at the convention, but I, I think it's likely he'll probably emerge with the nomination. But um, he's going to go on. He's going to face Heidi Heitkamp. And I was just thinking to myself. The only person who's ever beat Heidi Heitkamp on the statewide ballot is you, Senator. Do you have any advice for Kevin Kramer as he enters this election season? You know, actually, I'm always careful about offering advice. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, he's a capable, accomplished candidate. People know him well. He's going to do a great job. Obviously, it's going to be a very challenging race. But, you know, the one thing I always say for anybody running, you know, put your vision out there. Uh, lay out what you're going to do, and and uh, the the voters respond to that. And uh, I know that Kevin will do that. And uh, again, uh, you know, he he doesn't need advice from me. He he's an outstanding candidate. Now, what, what what does it mean? I mean, obviously, you're already in the United States Senate. What does it mean to North Dakota to have Kevin Kramer there as well? Well, it's really important in terms of our belief and our approach to limited government that empowers people. So whether it's cutting the regulatory burden, whether it's cutting the tax burden, whether it's working to expand markets and trade and and do all the things that we think really empower individuals and small businesses across this country, farmers, ranchers, to really, uh, you know, control their own fate and try to empower them. That's the the philosophy that we bring. And and obviously that's that's key in the Senate because right now we have, 51, and actually with uh, Senator McCain has, has been ill, as you know, so we're basically at 50 votes, and uh, so it really comes down to, you know, who's going to really uh, control and, and drive the, the agenda. Now, we have a situation, North Dakota is 
obviously it's a Trump state. Uh, 2016, nearly 63% of voters cast their ballots for Donald Trump. Less than 30% voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, his approval numbers remain very strong here. Uh, and that, I think, has created a situation that, that Democrats sort of have to tiptoe around President Trump. Obviously, the National Democratic Party, very much hostile to President Trump. Uh, but at the local level here in North Dakota, the Democratic Party kind of has to be uh, at least collegial with him, if for, for lack of a better term. Um, let, me, let me ask you, though, because we have an issue on trade. And the Democrats are, are, are saying that President Trump is hurting farmers in our state with this soybeans issue. Give us an update. What, what are you seeing? I mean, President Trump is squaring off with China. A lot of people see that as necessary because China's been breaking a lot of rules. And I, I think there's a lot of support, even bipartisan support, for getting tough with China. But there's a lot of people that are saying that the way he's handling it could have negative consequences for important industries right here in North Dakota. What are you seeing, Senator? Well, what he's trying to do is to knock down some of the unfair trade barriers that China's put in place, not to mention them doing things like taking our technology and not following copyright or patent laws and those kind of things. And, the, and you know, I've sat in the whole office and, and talked to him on this directly and said, we, we want uh, fair trade and free trade, and we have to make sure that as this process goes forward, this negotiation, that we do not have retaliatory tariffs on our ag products. So that's something that, you know, we're paying very close attention to and we're working very hard on. Reduce uh, barriers to trade, open markets, but, you know, make sure we don't have retaliatory tariffs, particularly on ag products. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We've got a caller, John, with a question for the senator. Go ahead, John. Good afternoon, Senator Hovind. Hi, John. How are you? Uh, surviving, but still beating my head against the wall daily as a gun owner. And I want to ask you this, and, and try and do it in as few words as possible, but I look at three bills in particular right now in the Senate, one being 2135, one being 2495, as well as the one that I would like to see passed, which is S446. And I'm not understanding, I guess, why there's a lack of support and drive behind 446 because it grants me national reciprocity as well as fixes uh, works at fixing the NICS system and actually does help increase school safety where it seems like everybody else is trying to put their support behind the other two, one of which is more focused on fixing NICS and one of which is more focused on school safety. I, I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks very much, sir. Right. Right. Uh, thanks for your call. Uh, the two that passed were one was the fixed next bill, which was uh, led by uh, Senator Cornyn. The other uh, is the uh, safe schools, was led by Hatch. We uh, moved both of those. Those obviously will both help uh, with school safety. Uh, and as far as reciprocity, um, I support that legislation. We're working to get it passed. And, uh, you know, we'll keep working to get it done. Obviously, uh, you know, I strongly support the Second Amendment. We'll continue to do so. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Camber, you're on next. What's up? Good afternoon, Senator Hoven and Rob. Good, Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? It, good. In light of the current proposed uh, trade tariffs by China, and agricultural goods, and in particular, let's talk soybeans, 
China, unless they're going to starve their people, is playing a losing hand. Brazil can provide about 60%, which they're doing today anyway, of their soybean import needs. The United States is supplying the rest as a whole. The concept, if you take a look at the markets the last three days, right now soybeans are up three, four cents. Uh, there's an overnight downdraft, and then during the day when rational people who understand the actual import and the requirements of the Chinese people wake up, then the market always reverses. <clears throat> Essentially, China in the last two days has bought 735,000 tons of soybeans because of the downdraft. Their markets are closed because of the holiday. They're playing this like a fiddle. Essentially, they have already put a tariff on because they bought soybeans 40 cents, 50 cents cheaper than they could four days ago. Um, so basically, when it comes to trade, you have to take a look at the actual facts on the ground, and I think President Trump is doing so because China's threat to the agricultural sector is really a hollow one. They'll lose every time because they need the soybeans or else they'll have internal unrest. And you and I both know the last thing China really wants is wholesale internal unrest. Yeah, I'll listen, up. I yeah, that, to listen to your response. Yeah, that, that, that's very interesting insight, Cameron. Senator, what do you think of that? Well, clearly, you know, uh, your caller there is following the markets very closely, and, and he makes an important point. We're trying to uh, make sure that China plays fair and that some of these tariff barriers they have get knocked down. And at the same time, uh, what I'm trying to do is, you know, on behalf of agriculture, make sure the administration understands that as we go through this negotiation, remember right now it's a negotiation. These tariffs aren't in place. Actually, the uh, administration has, has proposed potential tariffs if China doesn't reduce some of their bad practices. But the way it works is there's a comment period up till the end of May. Then there's 180 days before any tariffs would be proposed uh, or Im implemented by the United States. And China has said if the U.S. imposed some tariffs, then they would impose it, uh, potentially impose tariffs. So these are not tariffs that are in place. This is a negotiation yeah. at this point. The key is this, that we enhance the ability of agriculture to continue to export. And obviously that's something that I'm working on. Uh, diligently and, and you know, uh, will continue to as this negotiation proceeds on behalf of our farmers and ranchers. Yeah, that, that's definitely an important consideration is that there's been no policy implemented at this point. Uh, both sides are, are just making threats. Uh, and, and the caller makes an important point. We export $14 billion worth of soybeans. This is just one crop, but for example, $1.5 billion worth from North Dakota alone to China, okay? And so they, on the one hand, they need us, but on the other hand, we want to make very sure that as we go through this negotiation, we don't end up with tariffs on our egg products. I had uh, Max Schneider, a former Senate Minority Leader, campaigning for the United States House. Uh, he will be the opponent of uh, whoever gets the nomination out of Well, I guess we won't know till June who has the endorsement. Regardless, yesterday, Max Schneider says President Trump, uh, on this program, said President Trump needs to de-escalate this. Do you agree with him, Senator? I think he needs to make sure that we put our exporters in a better position. And that's why I'm saying China does engage in unfair practices. 
let's do what we can and engage our trading partners to help us in this process to try to knock some of those barriers down. But let's also make sure that as we go through this negotiation that we've enhanced the ability of our great uh, farmers and ranchers to export not only to China but other markets as well. Now, Senator, you're going to be addressing this convention. What's your message to delegates is at, at, here at the beginning of the uh, the election season? Well, actually, I'm giving a seconding speech for uh, for Kevin Kramer, and so I'll be emphasizing, you know, why it's so important uh, that uh, you know that we elect him, and then talking about what we talked about a l- little bit before, and that is that the agenda that will really help North Dakota is the agenda that that we're putting forward. All right, Senator, thank you so much for your time. Certainly appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it, Rob. That's Senator John Hoven. This is the Rob Report live from the NDGOP convention here in Grand Forks, brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WD, WDAY 93.1 FM 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, we are wrapping up the first hour here. An hour two coming up. We're going to have Secretary of State Al Jagger. He is the Republican incumbent. He is being challenged for the party's nomination uh, by Mandan businessman Will Gardner. Both of them are going to be on. Uh, coming up at 1 o'clock. Also at 1.30, we'll have two of the now six United States House candidates. Natil, did you know there was a sixth candidate out of that race? Uh, no, I didn't. Another another candidate from Minot, a gentleman by the name of Charles Tuttle, is joining, oh. joining the race. Uh, he's going to be... Uh, uh, he's going to be addressing the convention as well. But uh, Kelly Armstrong and Tiffany Abitroth going to be on the program coming up at 1.30. We'll talk with them. They're two of the candidates uh, who are on the race. Um, let's see. Emailer says, uh, Rob, Senator, what are your thoughts on the remu- RF- RFS waivers uh, that are occur- occurring currently? And that's the re- renewable fuel standard. And as I understand it, some refiners are getting uh, waivers from... Um, you know, basically, basically, it's blending rules. If I'm understanding it correctly, it's it's how much ethanol they have to blend and stuff like that. And, and they're getting listen. The, the renewable fuel standard. I realize that it's great for agriculture because it creates. Basically, it's it's a government policy that manufactures a market for fuel crops um, to, to make things like ethanol from. Um, I'm not so sure it's good policy from a free market perspective. I, I, I I'm not sure that it's a winning strategy to manufacture demand for a product like that. Uh, I'm not sure that that's any sort of a long-term policy we should support. Uh, so do I support the waivers? Yeah. Um, I would probably support getting rid of the RFS entirely uh, and just moving on. But anyway, that's uh, your answer. I, I wish uh, I wish we'd gotten that email while the senator was still on. We certainly could have asked him uh, about that as well. 701-293-9000. If you want to join the program, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Natil, I love a good political convention. You know that? You don't say. You've been doing a lot of convention-y type things this yeah. week. Well, this week, yeah, we had the Lignite Energy Convention uh, earlier this week that we broadcast live from. That was a lot of fun. Um, but the thing about a political convention is is all, I think unless you've been one, you really don't even understand 
what happens at something like this because there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I mean, a lot of the stuff that the people maybe don't even think happens anymore happens here. I, I mean, you have the candidates, uh, you know, they've got their operatives out, they're working the delegates, they're, uh, you know, everybody's running around. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happens. I mean, Are you we gonna have a, blow the lid off some some back room dealings. We have some intrigue, uh, uh, maybe. Maybe if I can if I can get in the right room and overhear the right things, maybe who knows? <laughs> uh, I mean, but we have I mean we have a United States House race. I mean this this convention could dictate who is is going to be now. Of course, you know nobody has to abide by the convention endorsement. Ultimately, the nominations are settled on the June ballot. Um, but we could have a situation where you know this this impacts who's going to be in Congress, um, and it happens right here in these rooms here, with these delegates getting together. So I mean, this isn't just a. Uh, this is a competitive enterprise. I mean, it's it's really interesting. It's not just a bunch of glad handing and stuff like that. This is really, really important stuff that they're doing here. And speaking of which, like the House race, I think the big question is Kelly Armstrong. You know, the two front front runners in that race probably Kelly Armstrong, Tom Campbell, obviously. Um, Armstrong has said that he will abide by the convention outcome. He will he will abide by whatever the delegates here say. He will not go to the June primary. Uh, in the past, Tom Campbell has been saying that he would go to the June primary if he loses here. Although. I saw in a news article yesterday, Campbell kind of hedging. And you know what that makes me think, Natil? It makes me wonder what his April quarterly, which is going to be due here a little bit later this month, what that's going to say about his fundraising. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Because what Kelly has said the whole time, Kelly Armstrong, has been that he'll respect the uh, yeah. convention because he was right. previously the leader of the North Dakota Republican party well the, well, the, well uh, the convention is hugely important for for the party mm-hmm. I, I mean i mean the 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 convention is uh i mean it, it gets all the people in one place uh it gets everybody excited um it, it's and it's a huge fundraising thing i mean the, the party just makes a lot of money that they're in turn going to use to try to elect republican candidates during the election cycle it's very very important so well, the, yeah, what, and, the, and what had, the party doesn't want to do is make the convention seem irrelevant exactly and he had come out very early on and said that because he at one point in time led this party he wants he's not going to gonna flip-flop yeah, he's not he, going he's not going to go for being party chair saying the convention's important people should abide by the convention outcome to be to, a candidate who i'm says, a candidate and now i'm going to go to the convention i'm going to go to the primary if i don't win at the convention he exactly and i i think that kelly armstrong really has has the upper hand in that respect because he got out in front of that. Now the question for me is what what is what is Campbell? How likely is he to want to run in the primary? Has he been able to raise money from other people? Because that was a big problem. His 2017 year-end fundraising totals showed uh, the senator had raised three fourths of his money from uh, himself out of his own pocket. Um, now, is that still the case? Is he still largely fundraising? And also, if he goes to a primary against an opponent like Kelly Armstrong, he is likely, and Kelly Armstrong's looking over at me right now as I'm mentioning his name, um, he is likely to uh, have to spend a couple million bucks just in the primary. Now, is he going to have to do that? What's his tolerance for pain for that? Um, I just don't know. Uh, and we may get a window into that. I guess we'll find out if, if Campbell, well, if Campbell wins the convention, we know he's definitely going to the primary. If he loses here, I guess we won't know. I wish we could get a glimpse of that FEC filing, but that's not going to be due till later this month. So I don't know, but it's an interesting question. It'll be interesting to, to see what happens for sure, especially because if Tom Campbell doesn't take the convention, he's probably going to have a harder time fundraising in the future because right. the Republican Party as a whole will have backed somebody else. Well, it also depends on how, how he wins and or, or, or wins or loses here. I mean, if it's close. I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's, a, if it's, close, if it's yeah. a nail biter, yeah. Well, then you know that's probably neutralized, and 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 I don't know. I mean, if it's close, 
maybe it should go to a maybe it should go to a primary. You know, and, and also by the way, you know, uh, in, the endorsement of the convention doesn't necessarily. Brian Kalk, uh, in 2012, was the endorsed candidate for the United States House. Kevin Kramer ran to the primary, beat him. Uh, Wayne Stengem was the endorsed uh, gubernatorial candidate in 2016. Doug Burgum went to the primary and beat him. So, interesting, interesting stuff. Coming up next, we'll have the two Secretary of State candidates, uh, the incumbent Republican Al Jagger, his challenger, Will Gardner. Coming up next on The Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Hour 2, Rob Report, 970 WDYM, 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Live from the North Dakota Republican Party State Convention at the Alaris Center, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. We, uh, we have two competitive, well, three competitive races, I should say. Uh, Congressman Kramer is uh, facing a challenge for nomination for the United States Senate. Um, probably the two most competitive races, however, is uh, obviously the, the United States House race. Six candidates running for that. Uh, and two candidates running for Secretary of State. Republican incumbent Al Jagger. Al, how's it going? Nice it's to see you. It's great. It's going so well. It, it's Really going good. Good, good. And uh, Will Gardner, uh, Mandan, first time running for any public office, right? We are very, yeah, we're very excited to be here. It's it's uh, it's a wonderful time, uh, and my kids, uh, my family, all the supporters, they're just really excited for for this weekend. Well, now, Will, first of all, why don't you tell us why? I mean, Secretary Jagger's been in office for a while, um, and he's been winning elections. North Dakota voters, he he puts his name on the ballot. They're saying, you know, against a, a number of different candidates, they're kept saying, we want out in majority numbers by pretty wide margins, mm-hmm. too. What made you want to challenge him? Yeah, he's the only person I've ever voted for in my life. Um, been been uh, very happy. Uh, with for his, Secretary his, of State. Yes. You, you haven't just been voting in Secretary of State race. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Yeah, right. uh, no, but uh, what what I just decided after after many years of, you know, I've had businesses, I've registered, and it's been an annoyance that I'd have to not be able to do it online to register my business. But uh, I just thought, well, I'll eventually get fixed, and, and we keep trying we keep trying to do it. And, I th- and uh, you know, I have the skills in the background to bring us to uh, a lot of the advancement that I'd like to do. And I can talk about that uh, as we as as I unroll my uh, first 100 days in office. I, I, you know, there are a lot of things I like to do, but some of these big IT projects, I think, having the experience that I do, I would really benefit the office. Now, Al, I, I think I think that's been a pretty pretty common theme of, of maybe some of the criticism of you are these IT projects. And you were on with me before, and you talked about it, and you talked about some of the the legislature has funded it, some of the piecemeal, but that's Will saying that's why he's challenging you. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, I need to tell tell you that in the last four years, we have launched three successful IT projects that have really worked well. The fourth one is going to be deployed by the end of the summer, and everybody's going to be able to file online, register online, uh, do everything online. So it's on the way. It's going to be done by the end of the summer. So everything that's been talked about in the last three or four years we either have done or are doing, and it will be done. And so it's underway. As you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, 
you know, we did face a little bit of a challenge back uh, several years ago when the uh, legislature uh, mandated me to use a developer that wasn't re really the one that we needed to have. And so, but even out of that funding, that's where we spun off those three successful projects, uh, going very well. The, the last one's been 24-7 for uh, two years now, uh, really works well. The uh, programming that's going on, the software development was really falling into place great. Uh, it's a green status, and we're excited. We are really excited about what's coming down the pike. It's going to be great. Uh, you had recently um, forum, oh, my colleague, uh, forum communications columnist uh, Jack Zaleski came out, really said some pretty unkind things about Will. What did you think of that column? I, I, th I think, what did he call it? He said your, your challenge was stupid. Um, and he used another word. I'm not even remembering. Yeah, you now. know, I don't. I don't. It, it was pretty tough. What did you think of that column? Was that? Well, you know, I mean, Jack. Jack is Jack, and he's. In, you know, he's. It, those are his words, and what I stand on is my record. Uh, my record is, uh, you know, well established over you know 20 some years. It's solid. Uh, I think the fact that I've been on the ballot uh, seven times, and as you've indicated, I, the you know four years ago, I received 62 percent of the vote against two challengers and so my record is what speaks for itself and uh, we've really done very well on the business side uh, you know the election election side you know we had a huge victory this last Tuesday when the court ruled that we aren't going to have to use the voter affidavits that were put in place in 2016 a huge thing uh, you know working through a legal process being represented by the Attorney General you know, working through that process, and there's a couple parts with that that are going to be uh, be appealed, and uh, to make sure that we maintain the integrity of the election. So, a lot of things going very well. Well, uh, the the point, you know, what Secretary Jagger just said, he's running on his record. Obviously, voters have been voting for that record for a while now. Um, you know, one election after another, he's been there for a while. What's your case to delegates saying, and and, and especially in light of the fact that the Democrats have put a, a candidate who in the race who's a serious candidate. Josh Foshay has a track record. He can raise a lot of money. He's been very successful running in District 44, a district previously held by Republicans, has flipped that to Democrats. I, I think a lot of people see him as a serious challenger. What's your case to delegates to say, A, let's switch from a guy who's been winning elections for a long time, and B, run me, who's never run on the statewide ballot, against somebody who's who's probably a pretty aggressive campaigner and is going to raise a lot of money? That's a great question. I'll answer it. I think I have the advantage here. I know I have the advantage. Uh, the pro you know, I, I would have liked to heard the secretary say that he he uh, he rejects those uh, comments that Zaleski's made, and as well as other people have made. Um, but uh, and I'd give him another opportunity to do that later on here. But uh, to answer your question, uh, Rob, I would say that. Uh, First of all, we need someone who's going to be a different kind of campaigner. For so many years, we've had uh, candidates who really don't put up too much of a fight, um, even though there was a close uh, previous election. The point is that in this election, we have somebody who's raising a lot of out-of-state money, a lot of New York, San Francisco money. He's going to come in and run a whole different campaign than we've ever seen before. We've had a previous election with uh, in, the, in the last governor's race. That was the Burgum-Stengem race, where the voters chose... Uh, someone who had new ideas over someone who had a name, and so I don't think it's it's really accurate to say that uh, that that uh, there there's choices over the name. I think it's very clear that in all of our state offices, every single position is Republican. That didn't just happen by chance. People in this state really want a good conservative Republican in in office, and the platform that I have about integrity or elections is 
resounding overwhelmingly yeah. many of the delegates are extremely frustrated with what had happened and they want a conservative in office and there have been many young republicans that have been uh, elected over the last couple uh, couple elections it's very important that we that we keep up the standard and the quality of of our candidates uh, and that starts with election yeah. integrity as well as is in the efficiency of the office. So, so, so those are your, your conservative and election integrity. Now, I'm pretty sure if I asked Secretary Jagger about being a conservative and about election integrity, he'd say well, he's more. Okay, well, okay, yeah. but let me let me finish. He would say he's for those things too. So, my question to you is: If you're elected in office, what are voters going to see that's different from what Secretary Jagger? Well, somebody's going to need to campaign and, and get out get out the vote like never before for this race. And so, okay, and but that's your campaign. Last, How about governing? Last, over, How about governing? Well, kind of. Let me just finish. Okay, sure. Fair enough. So, I've been to 44 of the 47 district conventions. I have gotten around the state more than any uh, Republican candidate, and 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 much much more than um, you know my opponent. So, that's that's very important to know that there's going to be somebody out there who's going to be aggressive in this campaign cycle, and who uses social media that has a campaign website. I'm, I can't believe that um, we have. You know, my opponent says that he's advancing technology doesn't have a campaign website eventually the, the state of north dakota okay. and so I'll, I'll let you answer your question but you know um you but but basically the point is we need someone who has uh, who can campaign in this new generation okay so well let me oh i, I guess that question to you uh, don't have a campaign website will saying he's going to be a better campaigner your response well first of all it's between now and november right there's a lot of things that need to happen mm-hmm those things will take place. They'll fall into place. That social media will take place. I'm not the techie. I don't pretend to be a techie. I know how to manage. I know to have people do the work, and we have a great team in the Secretary of State's office. This will all happen. This is not the reason why you become Secretary of State. The duties of the Secretary of State are so wide varied. There's a lot of things that need to be done and can be done yet. And I'm the person. I have the experience. This this whole discussion in terms of, of uh, you know, you need a new name. The fact is, Rob, you've just said, I've been on the ballot seven times. My name is recognizable. You already have identified an individual who is going to be raising a lot of money. You also, uh, you know, we have an individual who... Just now, in the light of the court's ruling in favor, you know, move, removing the requirement for the voter's affidavit, this is a legislator who has a voting record who voted against what the court pretty much upheld. You know, we talk about election elect- uh, uh, integrity. I don't know where that's coming from and in terms okay, of well, what Will is that. saying, because we have been in the forefront. This lawsuit, you don't do this in the media. You go through the courts. Our attorney general has been handling it well. And so this is where a case like this is tried, through the legal process. Uh, well, and let's, and let's, let let's ex- expand on the integrity thing, because he's saying he doesn't know where it's coming from. I Where's brought it coming this up from? From, from day one, that, that we need to get rid of these affidavits. We need to be proactive. Here's, what, here's an excerpt from what the, the judge said, Judge Hovland, in his decision. He spent a paragraph talking about how they were not proactive. He says, both parties were fully aware of the impact of the new law dating back April 2017, but waited until mid-January 2018 to take any legal action. He also further says the state never appealed the injunction despite the recent criticisms to the order, the recent criticisms. And the recent criticisms, I believe, um, 
I think were motivated by a lot of the stuff that I was saying in my campaign. That's what motivated this lawsuit to get done. I, I don't want to take credit because the legislature has done a lot and and then the um, attorney general has been involved and i even give some credit to the secretary of state for 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 at least doing what it was supposed to do by the law but we need somebody who's pushing this along and the court was saying clearly this was not getting pushed this was not getting done at the last minute they came in and it talks about heroic antics all right secretary jagger your response the state of north dakota has an attorney general who represents the state against lawsuits like this a very well-respected attorney general he is the one who represents us we work with them and what the judge didn't know is that in terms of accuracy we took into our office over 16,000 affidavits every one of them was checked out we found that around 37 3800 of those we couldn't even determine their eligibility all of this was put in the filing that that was put in with the court I believe this was a very strong part of why the court said you know there's no more requirement for a voters affidavit in other words he upheld what the legislature has done and to somehow insinuate that this particular process by our attorney general representing us somehow has been flawed and somehow has been delayed and somehow in the system that's that somehow it's our fault my fault the thing is is you don't go out in the media and make pronouncements you work through the legal system you who's, work who's, through who's the who's been making pronouncements in the media who are you talking about there well, there's been announcements, and there's, I don't know what Will is talking about in terms of the aggressiveness that he would take. We went to the legislature in 2017. We worked with the legislature to come up with a voter ID bill that was acceptable, and the judge really affirmed that the other day. He only did a couple of little changes which have already been filed as far as they're going to be appealed. And so the integrity is there, and the process, we have yeah. done it. And so to be able to come out and say that somehow that's, that's, not, that's not based in fact. It's not based in understanding. These are Judge Hovland's words. Okay. He said that they're not being proactive. He said that, that they were not. They waited until. What would you have done differently? As soon as the law was, was being challenged, it should have been, we should have had trying to be proactive and get the courts to decide this instead of waiting till January. Well, how can how can you make the judge? I mean, how do you how do you I mean, first of all, that's the attorney general's office that's handling that. Well, but as the as the person who who runs, they're the ones that are trying to they need to talk to the sec, to, to the attorney general's office and say, "Look, let's get this rolling. We need to have a decision on this and we need to start moving on this." I, I want to we have we have about 2 minutes left and I want to I want to have you tell me if you're elected and you're in the secretary of state in terms of governing what are voters going to see that's different from you? And then we'll let Secretary Jagger Sure, I can talk about my first 100 days. So so what I plan to do in the first 100 days is, first of all, uh, we're going to have uh, the ability to have a mobile-friendly website. So, for example, uh, right now, 80% of the people that, that go on the web right now, they are using mobile devices to get to websites. And right now, if you go to, and I have on my, on my stand over here, you can see a picture of what a mobile website looks like in the current Secretary of State site. You flip it over, and you can see how it looks like so that you can actually read the site and not, and not have to, to fumble around with it. Um, being uh, being list open to the people. So I would like to have some ability to communicate with 
with the people who are using the website. And so there's going to be uh, a, a functionality so that you can chat with a representative. So you don't. It's just a another way of getting new uh, ease of use for the average citizen out there that's trying to utilize the website who has questions about how do I file or, or, or register my business and and so those are the new ideas and then as far as the projects are concerned like these big projects that are cost we've had about five to seven million dollars in canceled projects over the last 10 years that's a lot of money and my ability and my experience in these projects and project management what I do is make these projects smaller instead of these big large projects that are out of control you do things in small pieces but with a lot with with a longer roadmap okay secretary Jager, I'll let you respond and then we'll wrap it up there's a lot more to this office than technology and knowing how to do that you surround yourself with the people that know how to do it there is a rest of the story to all of this I commit to the people in North Dakota that I will maintain the high standards of service that I have demonstrated over the years. The integrity of the office in terms of doing everything fairly and evenly and honestly with everybody. This is what I offer to the people in North Dakota. I offer a record that is solid, that has produced results that has taken what we are handed and have done the best possible thing that we could do with it every day. And we've done that. And so I don't know about this technology, but I do know that I have a great staff. And I know that they work hard every day to provide the best possible services with the funding and the limitations that sometimes are placed on us by the legislature. But I have a good record, and I've done a lot for this state. I know what needs to be done in the next four years. I have the experience, I have the knowledge, and I have the integrity to get the job done. Secretary Jagger, thanks for your time. Will, thanks for your time Thank as you, well. Thank you, Rob. Yep. It's Will Gardner, Al Jagger. They're going to be, uh, well, on Sunday, making their cases to the delegates here at the NDGOB convention. We're going to take a break. This is Ron Port broadcasting live from the Alaris Center in Grand Forks, brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. We'll be right back. Don't go away. You know, Natil, I like what just happened here on, on the show. I think we had two passionate candidates. You have one guy who has a ton of experience on the statewide ballot, has a ton of experience in the office he's currently holding. He's making his case for another term in that office. On the other hand, you have Will Gardner. Uh, he's a guy he's never held office before, but he's a, he, he feels like he has some new ideas. He feels like he could do the job better. They're squaring off. Uh, and they're they're making their cases. Um, they're making them provocatively. You know, they're 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 not pulling any punches. I thought that was great. I, I think I think that's great. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's great to see. It's great to see a lot of passion, especially this early in the process. Yeah. Well, it's not early. I mean, I mean, at this point in the process, I mean, this is you know essentially the um, 
I mean, one of these guys has to get the endorsement. Well, I, yeah, for, but for for the layman voter out there, sure. the 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 pre primary stuff seems very early in the process. Yeah, and that there is this much passion and yeah. this much conversation happening, I think is is really heartening. Well, I, th- I think also within the party. I mean, these are two Republicans, um, you know, and it just shows, you know, not all Republicans agree on everything, and we're going to have a competition between two smart people, smart, engaged people who have some ideas for how to do this job. Uh, and they're going to go forward. And I think that that is just great. And I was happy that they both came on and that we could have a uh, a civil discussion about it. Uh, and it's just really great. Hey, coming up in the next segment, uh, we are going to be talking to uh, two of the United States House candidates, Kelly Armstrong, uh, candidate for uh, House. He's currently a state senator for Dickinson, as well as Tiffany Abitroff. She's a Marine veteran uh, from the area of Hillsboro, North Dakota. She's actually from Cummings. Well, maybe not as many people know Cummings, so we have to say Hillsboro. Or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that's a very North Dakota thing, right? To say, uh, well, you will know where my small town is because I will tell you the name of this other very small town. Well, it's like anytime I tell somebody I grew up in Fort Ransom, I have to be like, it's it's by Lisbon. <laughs> where the heck is Lisbon? No, I'm kidding. I know where Lisbon's at. Been to Lisbon. Nice town. Hey, uh, more coming up straight ahead. This is the Rob Report live from the NDGOP convention brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you live from the NDGOP convention in Grand Forks at the Alaris Center. Talking all sorts of candidates today. Uh, broadcast brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. They were kind enough to sponsor us today so we could come up here and do this. Uh, in a moment, going to be talking to two of the six candidates for the United States House for the endorsement, NDGOP endorsement. Uh, Kelly Armstrong, state senator from Dickinson, Tiffany Abitroth, Marine veteran from, uh, well, Cummings, adjacent to Hillsborough. Yes. As we spoke about earlier. Uh, also coming up, we added a guest, Thomas O'Neill, who is a candidate for the United States Senate. He's going to be joining us uh, in the next segment as well. We'll be talking with him uh, about his campaign. He is challenging Congressman Kramer uh, for the Senate endorsement. But now let's talk to our two candidates. Uh, first of all, Tiffany. Yes. Uh, newcomer to North Dakota Absolutely. politics. Fair to say, I called you a mystery candidate. And I, I loved me, it. I, I told you, you need to trademark that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think you told me that was okay. Um, tell us about yourself. Well, I've been a 15-year uh, Marine Corps veteran. Uh, I've spent my time, well, my entire career has been as an intelligence analyst for the Marine Corps, as well as a uh, defense contractor. And, you know, for the last 20 months, I was over in Afghanistan. I was the in-country program manager for the biometric intelligence program there. So I managed all my contractors throughout Afghanistan. And we focused on the, uh, we, we actually managed the, uh, the DOD's uh, biometrically enabled watch list. So we're protecting our bases, our guys on the ground, and individuals here in the United States from those that we've identified as threats. So we're keeping all of our guys safe over there. And, uh, you know, part of the reason why I jumped into this race was because, you know, what affects us back here in Washington does affect us over there. You know, with the military, it's it's just a different form of politics. And, you know, you, when you constantly see that divide that's happening here in Washington, it became a, it became that point in my t- in my life where to continue on with my service, leave my job and come back and serve you know, the people here in North Dakota. Why you and not any of, and I obviously I can't ask you to go down the laundry list of candidates we have here uh, and, and pick apart each one, but why why you and not any of the rest of them? 
Well, it goes to my experience working with a multitude of different agencies. I've had experience working with the State Department, you know, focusing on, you know, diplomatic relationships. You know, I've spent time in Poland, Armenia, and Panama, those three different embassies. Uh, I've had extensive experience working with uh, Customs and Border Patrol, you know, protecting our borders. Again, great people to work for. You know, uh, you know, here, you know, here in America, you know, we, you know, we do deal with, you know, North Dakota in itself. But, you know, understanding, you know, government's budget and, you know, the military, you know, the military spending and where the money is going, that's something that I have experience with. And some, you know, quite a few of the other candidates, you know, we deal with, you know, North Dakota budgets, but the overall, you know, much larger budget of the government is a whole different beast in itself. And I've seen the fraud, waste, and abuse that has gone on, especially in the Department of Defense, when you're you know, when you're talking numbers and figures. It's it's stuff that I can bring to Washington as somebody that's firsthand seen it from a multitude of uh, Inspector General reports and everything else that's went on, you know, overseas and here in the states. Kelly, state senator from Dickinson, uh, former chair of the party. Uh, until you decided to run for the House, that is. Uh, what what case are you going to make to delegates when you get up there and speak? Why why Kelly Armstrong? Well, I'm the most conservative guy in this race. I have the energy and the drive and the experience to go down to Washington and get things done. Um, I've worked hard to mend, minimize fe- re- regulation at the state level. I understand how the EPA can be incredibly devastating to our North Dakota farmers, ranchers, and energy producers. Uh, dealing with federal regulation and writing law and, and, and killing bad law is something that I've had experience with and I'm proud of what we've done in the North Dakota legislature. But, you know, we need more than one one, one red vote in D.C. right now. Out of one in, one in 435 seats, we need someone down there that is a strong advocate for the issues that are incredibly important in North Dakota. What would you say during your time in the legislature? Because you have a voting record. Tiffany doesn't have a voting record. I, I assume you haven't held no. office before. No. Okay. You have a voting record. I though. do. What, part of the, what parts of those records are you most proud of? I'm, well, just last session, returning thousands of private property mineral acres to um, landowners in western North Dakota. And this was an issue that we, I've been dealing with for three years. That property was unfairly taken from citizens of this state by the government, and I worked for three years to figure out a way to do it. We could never come to any kind of agreement, so we wrote a law, and we're going to give them their private property back. That's from last session. Obviously, I was heavily involved in the in prime sponsor of the surge bill, which brought over a billion dollars in infrastructure spending to the entire state of North Dakota. And then, most importantly, I think working with laws, primarily laws dealing with law enforcement. You know, a lot of times when you deal with bills in the Capitol, it looks good in a conference room, but I need that legislation to work, and our cops and our protectors need that law to work at 2.30 on the side of the road as well. Uh, that was something, and I, and I want to come back to that, because that was something with with a vote on flood diversion in Fargo that I think you got blasted on a little bit. But I want, I want to go to Tiffany, because you're talking about putting together budgets. You've worked, obviously, in the government basically as a federal employee. Right. Well, okay. no, oh, not not a federal okay. employee. I don't, I don't want to but, misstate it. Okay. Right. Uh, well, again, you know, you, there's a there's a, you know, serving as a military member. Yes, you work for the federal government, but as okay. a defense contractor, it's you're hired. Your company, okay. the company is you know hires you, uh, you know, but you technically do not call you call yourself a federal uh, a federal employee. That's reserved for. Uh, you know, people that work in, for example. So, so, so yeah. two of your opponents both have experience. State Senator Tom Campbell, Senator Armstrong here, both have experience uh, working in a legislative body writing government budgets. Now, you're saying mm-hmm. that, that your experience as a contractor compares to that? 
it's a, it's a different type of you know it's a different type of budget when you're talking you know government contracts. Every government contracts requires every you know everything from a proposal, to, you know, to the bidding process, and you know calculating out how much you know how, you know how much uh, you know a contract is willing to go ahead and put in. It's it's different type of budgetary. Um, you know, you know, policy when you're going ahead and uh, you know putting everything together, but again, it all it all goes into you know once every, once everyone submits their bids, I mean it it really comes down to you know people look at full proposals going who's the most qualified, what's the bottom line, you know overall costs overhead I mean all of it's all of it's calculated, and uh, you know when we're also talking you know appropriations and you know spending. You know, just like anything with the military, there has to be a checks and balances system. You have to, you can't just keep throwing money at the military. Because again, there's no incentive at the end of the fiscal year to give that money back. Majority of the time, we actually end up with money at the end of the fiscal year. But we're encouraged to spend that money as fast as possible on whatever we possibly can. And, you know, that, that way that, that we still have that same amount of money for next year. Why should, like, on one hand, I, I think being an outsider right now at this moment in American politics is a good thing. Donald Trump obviously had never held elected office before. He's president of the United States. Doug Burgum here locally never held elected office before. He's now governor of our state. Mm-hmm. In some ways, that's a good thing. But on the other hand, people are saying, well, I don't, you don't have a record that I can go back on and say when, when it rubber meets the road and you're standing in front of a yes or no button on a piece of policy – we don't have any track record to know how you're going to vote. People who are concerned about that, how do you make your case to them? I make my case to them by showing them that, again, I believe in transparency. I believe in, I, I'm, a, I'm very pragmatic. I'm very rational when it, comes to, when it comes to voting or when it comes to looking at issues. I like to see a problem, and I like to pick apart problems. It's, part it's part of the process about being you know, an intelligence analyst. It goes the same way when you're looking at any type of a bill that's about to be passed and saying, cause and effect what is going to happen with this down the road and then going into it and then you know explaining to the voters just how it's going to affect them and long-term impacts not just you know up front hey this is going to be the best thing that we've ever seen okay what about on the back end those are the those are those like key issues just like with the omnibus spending them this going ahead and putting that much money out there and no way of getting it back anytime soon and increasing military spending again, throwing more money. Don't get me wrong; the military needs the money, but at the same time, you still have to put into a, you have to take into account the conservative aspect. And again, those checks and balances go into play. Kelly, last question that we have time for: uh, your vote on the flood diversion. Now, I think your argument is legislative process is often very complicated. Your concern is getting legislation out that doesn't just make for good headlines, uh, but also is is going to create a situation where when it's actually being applied is good policy now you were hit for a vote on an amendment uh that that people said put the flood diversion for fargo at risk is that an example of that yeah i think it is and you know we were dealing with whether or not the state was going to be left holding the bag on a diversion project but i think it's also important to note that i've always supported that i voted for the increase to 500 million from 120 million i carried inner city flood protection on the floor on the floor of the senate so yeah i mean that's an example of where you're trying to do the right thing knowing that there's going to be some criticism involved and willing to stand up and take that criticism and i think i have a record of doing that not only in the legislature but in my private life and as party chairman i'll, I'll take the 
heat, I'll take the bullets because I think tough decisions need to be made in Washington. And I would say the one difference between budgeting in North Dakota and budgeting in Washington, D.C., is they don't care how far they in debt they go for, whether, for anything that they do. So I think, one, we're forced to ba- balance our budget in our businesses. We're forced to balance our budget at the state, and we need to get serious about it. $21 trillion in debt would be laughable if it isn't so scary. It's the single biggest national security threat we face, and we have to go down there, take criticism, and figure out a way to reduce that debt. I do want to ask you one last thing, because yeah. back when you were party chair and you weren't running for, for Congress or anything, Tiffany Abertroth got in the race. I got in touch with you to ask, who is this person? Because I didn't know her at the time. Uh, you said, I don't know, but she sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, she's a 15-year veteran of the military. I'm, I'm happy she's involved. You, I mean, I, you know me. Bring them all. I mean, I think it's great. We have 1,500 delegates showing up. We're at max. 1,600. Cap- 1,600. We have max capacity. The fire marshal's not going to let anybody else in, and we've got six candidates running for the House, and our delegates got, delegates got choices. I think it's awesome. This is going to be a great weekend for the North Dakota Republican Party. Well, I agree. Absolutely. That's all the time we have for. I'm glad you're both in the race. I'm glad the four others are in the race. Uh, Competition's great, isn't it? Absolutely. Tiffany, thanks for your time. Kelly, thanks for your time. We're going to go. Thomas O'Neill, candidate for the United States Senate, is going to join me next. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDOI, AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. Last segment, live from the North Dakota Republican Party Convention. Live coverage today brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. We're happy to be with you. We've been talking to all sorts of candidates today. Earlier, talked with Congressman Kevin Kramer. He, of course, is running for the United States Senate. He wants the endorsement of this convention uh, in order, to, uh, in order to, to pursue that. His opponent, though, he does have a challenger. His name is Thomas O'Neill. Uh, he is running for Senate. Thomas, how you doing? Uh, pretty good, Rob. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Why you and not Congressman Kramer? Why me and not Congressman Kramer? Well, uh, to give you the short answer is I'm the watchman on the wall. Okay. All right. Um, I see several uh, dangers coming to our country and our way of life that nobody's talking about. Okay. Well, what? like what? Name some. Uh, Sharia law, for instance. All right. The city of Levine, Texas, has instituted a Sharia law court. Um, The state of Florida did the same thing. A Sharia law court exists in Florida. All right. And I think the other states, New Jersey. So what's happening is, is our law is being superseded by Sharia law. And this is just a point of the spear. It's going to get much worse in the coming years. And you think that's something the delegates here at the convention are are, are going to prioritize? I don't know if they will or not. Okay. You know, I'm just saying is um, I will bring attention to it and I will do something about it. Are, are, now, are, are you are you saying, because I, I think obviously if, if, if there is a threat of uh, a, a, a radical strain of, of, of anything, of politics, of religion or what have you, entering into the United States, you think Congressman Kramer is not, not going to sufficiently protect us from that? Uh well, I haven't heard him say anything yet about it. Okay. But I haven't been paying attention yet. Are, either. are there other specific votes or positions he's taken, or or actions that he's taken that have made you want want to say, listen, he's he's not the right man? Because obviously, I mean, he's already been reelected. He's got a long history of, of electoral success. First on the Public Service Commission, now running for the United States House, or uh, serving in the United States House. Now he's running for the Senate. Has he done anything during that time that has made you think, you know what, he shouldn't be in the Senate? Yes. 
Uh, I can say I can say for sure that. Um, um, oh, well, let's give a uh, for instance. Uh, if this was 1950, I'd vote for him. In fact, I'd probably be on his campaign, uh, serving on his campaign committee. All right, but this isn't 1950. All right, he's been silent on several subjects. All right. Uh, as a member of the House, he has the power to go ahead and fire these people in DOJ and FBI, but he won't do it. All right. He has the power to go ahead and get these Sharia courts out of our country. He has the power to go ahead and vote to build the wall. Well, he's, he's one vote. I mean, in, in the United States House, he's one vote out of 435 uh, Yes, people. I understand that. Okay. Uh, what, but what, what, you can go ahead and still publicly go ahead and uh, uh, take a uh, stand against certain positions. Tom, if, if, if we, you get elected to Congress and you, you go to Washington, D.C., what do we see from you? I mean, what are your priorities? Well, my priorities are America first. All right. Uh, I, I support um, Trump's tax cuts. All right. And in fact, I would love to see the uh, uh, tobacco tax repealed. All right. That was something from Bill Clinton's era. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, Bill Clinton was our worst president we've ever had in the history of the United States until Barack Obama come around. Are you uh, if, if, if you win and I've been asking all the candidates this today, because obviously you have an option if you don't win at the convention uh, tomorrow. Right. You guys are up tomorrow. I believe. Right. Yes. Yeah. If you if you don't win the delegate vote tomorrow, are you going to go to the June primary? Uh, yes, I am. OK. Okay, so you'll put your name on the June primary as a Republican candidate. Yes, I will. Kevin Kramer. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add in terms of your, your platform, your policy of ideas? Uh, my platform is very... Well, let me ask you this. Before we get into that, are you President Trump? Are you, are you a Trump supporter? Yes, I am. Very okay. much so. All right. What do, you, what do you make of the situation? I was asking Congressman Kramer about this because a lot of people, particularly here in North Dakota, and particularly from your neck of the woods, a lot of soybean growers, right? right. And, and a lot of people in agriculture... Uh, North Dakota is a state that exports a lot of pro- uh, products, uh, oil, including oil, uh, right. most recently. Um, as President Trump works with China on trade, a lot of people are worried about the retaliation hurting our state and our ability to export products overseas. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are is uh, President Trump is a master negotiator, the art of the deal, the book. Okay. All right. And I think that he can go ahead and work out our trade imbalances in a, in a fair and equitable, equitable way. And uh, I stand behind him. All right. I put my trust in President Trump. Now, what I won't do, all right, is put my trust in another Barack Obama or another Bill Clinton. They seem to give away our country for, in exchange for campaign contributions. This latest uh, incident with George Soros taking $9 million to... Uh, for his own agenda over in another foreign country, and Obama was was part was behind it. I mean, when are the when is when are the scandals going to stop, and why isn't anybody going to jail for him? Now I grew up in the military for 20 years. All right, when somebody did something wrong, they were thrown in jail and they were thrown out of the service. They lost all their benefits. All right, with a bad conduct discharge. I don't see any of the congressmen up there. Um, Losing anything, basically. Yeah, I think a lot of people frustrated with that. Now, I asked Tiffany Abertroth because she's running for the United States House. Right. She doesn't have a record, hasn't held political office before. To my knowledge, you have an either? Uh, yes, I've oh, been, you have. I okay. have been mayor of Niagara. You were um, mayor of Niagara, North mayor, Dakota. And I was councilman for two, two Okay, terms. so you have some governing experience. Well, uh, yeah, if you want to call being a uh, mayor of a town of 50 <laughs> okay. some. Okay, so, so, so to that point, what would you say to delegates saying, 
it's hard. I mean, because you're saying a lot of things, and people could take that at face value, but they're you don't have a voting record yet. And Congressman Kramer has has a long track record. He's cast a lot of votes in the United States House. Uh, before that, he governed on the Public Service Commission. He has a trail there that we can go back and, and sort of try to, to, to put together a, 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 a track record, so to say. You don't have that. People uh, To delegates who are concerned about that, what's your argument? Well, that's a very good argument. All right. Well, and I'll go ahead and counter it this way. I am a born-again Christian, and that is not a go-to-church-on-Sunday Christian, act the way I want to the rest of the week. That is my faith, all right, is carried through the week, the entire week, all right? I believe my yeses should be yeses and my noes should be noes, all right? I have been called on the carpet in the military six or seven times, all right, and I have, under threat of uh, court-martial, Called on the carpet, like like charged with things? No, called on the carpet was a term that we used to. I'm standing tall before the commander. Okay, okay. All right. That's what, and, and told to do certain things and uh, violated my principle. And I have gone ahead and stood on my principles. So, no, I don't have a legislative record, but I've got a real-world record. Well, Thomas, we are all out of time, but I thank you for coming on and taking the time with me today. All right. Well, I appreciate you having me on there, Rob. That's Thomas O'Neill, candidate for the United States Senate. I'm Rob Port. That's it for me today, live from the NDGOP convention, brought to you by First International Bank and Trust. Jay Thomas Show, straight ahead. Stay tuned for that. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog.